Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming, being with us in worship here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church today on what really is a special day. It's a special day because we gather together around the table of the Lord this morning and to celebrate it. This has become sort of our tradition here at Ivy Creek that we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And the reason why we do that is because I think there's no, probably no more appropriate time for us to remind ourselves of that for which we ought to be the most thankful, particularly as believers. We are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are thankful for what he has done for us in securing our salvation through his death and through his burial and through his resurrection. And so we are excited about that and excited about this time that we're able to share together this morning. I have no doubt that many of you are going to... Um, gather with your family and friends around a Thanksgiving table at some point later on this week. And um, when you do that, someone's going to take an opportunity probably to stop and to say a blessing or to, as sometimes we say, to return thanks or to, to offer thanks to God for the food and for the blessings of our lives. We do that around our house. I shared with the first service that you know, sometimes I'll pray, sometimes Caroline will, will ask the blessing. Oftentimes one of our children will ask one of them to say the blessing. Sometimes we just join hands and we just sing. We'll sing the doxology together. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And we'll sing that together. Sometimes we'll sing, we'll, we'll grab hands and we'll sing, praise God. Uh, we'll sing, what, what, other, what other song is it we sing? Where's one of my kids? God our Father, we'll sing that one. God, our Father, we thank you for our many blessings. Amen. We'll sing those songs. I recall whenever, uh, when they were much younger, occasionally you would have the, the, the prayer that would come out, and, and many of you already know it. If you're around children and it, 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 at, a, at a blessing time and you've got food on the table, what's the, what's the prayer that you often hear? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Now, we typically think of that as being a, a kid's prayer. And the reason why we probably think of that is because as adults, we like to add a, lunch of, a bunch of flowery language onto it. We like, to, we like to expand it out and talk about uh, how we're grateful with a lot bigger words. And listen, I'm all for that. I think you ought to use the biggest and the grandest words that you can find to give praise and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy of all of it. He's not intimidated by our 50 cent words. He actually likes them when we use them. And I think if we, get, if we have them in our, in our vocabulary, we ought to use everything that we've got to give praise and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. But this morning, I want to make a case for that simple prayer. I want to make a case for a prayer that is very simply stated. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him. Um, if you've been with us over the last month or so, you know we've been studying through the book of Haggai. We're going to take a break from Haggai this morning. I think we've got one more sermon left in it. We're going to squeeze one more out of it next Sunday morning, the Lord willing. But today I want us to take just a break and I want us to turn to the, to the book of Psalms and to Psalm 113. And I want us to look at this psalm this morning. Psalm 113 is a part of six psalms that are commonly referred to as the Egyptian Hallel songs. They're called the Egyptian Hallel songs because they celebrate Israel's uh, deliverance from Egyptian slavery. They are the Hallel songs because they are ones that offer praise. That's what Hallel actually means. It means to, to give praise, to offer praise. 
In fact, this psalm begins and ends with the same word. It's a phrase in our scripture. It says, praise the Lord. That's how it begins. It's how it ends. But it's actually only one word in Hebrew. It's hallelujah. That's, how the, that's the word. Hallel means to praise. Yah is a shortened version of the name Yahweh, which means the Lord. And so it's praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the way that this song uh, begins and how it ends. And so let's read it together this morning, hearing from God's word to our ears this morning as we read. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord, our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust and he lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it's for the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to gather together as your people, to be able to open your word to us, given divinely to us, that explains not only who you are, but who we are apart from you. And offers us the good news that you have sent your son Jesus to pave the way for sinners like us to be reconciled and restored. So we're grateful for that good news this morning. And I pray that as we, as we study your word and as we partake of this Lord's Supper that you would just continue to remind us of the great blessings that you have brought into our lives. Not the least of which, in fact the greatest of which is salvation through our Lord. So I pray that today and I pray that throughout this week we would be reminded of that. And we praise you and we thank you in Christ's holy name. Amen. In your bulletin, I provided you with a very simple outline. And the truth of the matter is, if you're pretty astute, you can probably go ahead and fill it in and you don't even need me to help you. And that's fine. But nevertheless, I want us to work through this text today. I want us to just kind of walk through it just briefly to kind of show you how this psalm informs us with regard to our praise and with regard to our thanksgiving. I want you to notice in the first three verses that the psalmist gives us a number of commands. He tells us there's a few things we ought to do. And, and really, that, the question that's answered there is the question of what. What should we do? Well, he tells us that we are to engage in praising and we are to engage in blessing the Lord. That's the what and the who is the Lord. That's who we are to praise and we are to bless. We are to give him glory. We are to provide thanksgiving to him. And we are to praise and bless the Lord. Why? Because, or for what, or how long? Well, he says, from now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun till it's going down. That's when we are to praise and to bless the Lord. So what we've learned is what we're to do. We're to praise and bless. Who are we to praise and bless? The Lord, God of heaven. And then when are we to do that? From now and forevermore. And, and so because of that, what I want us to think about is this. In the world in which you and I live, 
In a world in which the name of God is often accompanied by a swear word, when the name of God is often taken in vain and used without thought, and you see the, even the, the, the letters OMG attached to everything, in a time like that when the name of God and, and the identity of God is kind of slung out there with very little meaning and the meaning that's attached to it is completely erroneous from what the scriptures teach, we need to understand that the psalmist here is reminding us that his name ought always to be accompanied by praise and by blessing and by thanksgiving. And it ought to be hallowed among us. That the name of God is the name that should be glorified in and exalted and lifted up. And that leads me actually to the first point that I want you to note this morning. The first thing that I think we should recognize is this. We should thank the Lord and praise him at all times. At all times. One writer I, I read this week said this. He said, now when we think about praising God at all times, that doesn't mean we just walk around all the time going, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Parroting that, that phrase over and over again. That's, that's not what the writer is telling us. What he is telling us is that when there are legitimate reasons why we ought to, to, when something wonderful happens in our lives, it's unexpected. And it happens all the time, right? A blessing just sort of comes up out of nowhere. And, and we realize that God was involved. And we ought, to, we ought to be careful at that particular moment to issue forth in praise and thanksgiving. And people around us ought to know that, that our hope is in God and that our praise goes for him. But I want you to also know that it doesn't, our praise for the Lord at all times doesn't just happen when things sort of happen um, spontaneously. I believe that that also means is that we have to condition ourselves. We have to deliberately decide to cultivate within ourselves an attitude of praise and blessing. I want to give you an example of how one of the ways that we do that. We've just done it this morning in the first part of our service. We just sang the song, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. I don't know if you really paid attention, but the lyrics, the, 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 the text of that song take us through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It walks us through the gospel from which our hope is derived. It doesn't just stop there, though. It talks about his future return, and it wraps our hope into that future return. So we recognize that not only is our hope for today wrapped up in what Jesus has done in the past, but it's also wrapped up in what he's going to do. And so, why, so what do we do? We praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise his name forevermore. That's, that's one way that we cultivate that idea and that thought. Earlier in the service, we sang two songs about the power of the blood. What that reminds us is, is that the power that we have comes from an external source. We are powerless. We have no power. The only, the only thing that we have in our lives is, is, is the, the sinfulness that drives us away from God. But Jesus Christ, his blood has power in it to do for us what if we had a thousand lifetimes could never do, and that's to cleanse ourselves of our sin. We've just sang about that this morning. You know what that ought to do? That ought to drive us to thanksgiving. That ought to drive us to be thankful for a God that loves us that much. And then the choir, wow, they, they outdid themselves again singing that, that hymn that comes straight from Psalm 3, Thou, O Lord. That, that is such a beautiful, 
song that reminds us that when our enemies are coming at us and when the, the, the difficulties of life have come to try to steal our joy and to drive us away and to bring us into captivity and to, and to despair, our head is lifted up by the one who speaks peace into our lives, who, who wraps his arms around us and protects us. My point in walking you through all of those things is just simply this. We ought not all, only just praise God and give him thanks when good things happen or when we gather around a table. We ought to deliberately sit within our minds to open up his word and to read them because all of those songs that we sang this morning, every one of the texts comes from the word of God. It's been revealed to us. And that, that word of God is what is what drives us into thanksgiving because it reveals who God is and what he has done and how he has met us at our point of greatest need. So consequently, we not only are to praise God when unexpected blessings come, though I believe it's appropriate for us to do that, I believe we ought also to do, just as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, we ought to sing our praises to him through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all the things that God the Father has done to us through, the, through us through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing that I believe we ought to take away from the first three verses of Psalm 113, and that is that we ought, to, we ought to thank God and we ought to praise him at all times. Now, that moves us to the second part of the psalm. And here's where I believe that prayer that we all led earlier in, in, in saying together uh, kind of comes back into play. And this is why if you were paying attention, you can probably go ahead and fill the rest of your outline in without any difficulty. Because the second point that we come to this morning simply is this. We should thank and praise the Lord. Why? Because he's great. Because God is great. Notice what verses 4 and 5 of this psalm tell us. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory above the heavens. Then he asks this question. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? It's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer to that question is no one. That's the, exactly the way the psalmist wanted us to answer. But, but notice why no one is as that. Because no one's as great as he is. No God is as great as our God. Psalm 113 sort of parallels what we read about in Isaiah chapter 40. If you want to go back and, and read some of that at some point later, go ahead and do that. Isaiah 40, listen to how the prophet what the prophet says here, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Later down in verse 15, he writes this, behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and they are counted as the small dust on the scales. Verse 17, he says, all nations before him are as nothing and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. If you ever feel kind of self-confident, you want to throw your chest out and think that you are somebody, I would advise you not to go back and read Isaiah 40. 
The Bible says that we are as nothing before God in comparison to him. And then he, he moves, he pans his camera angle even back and goes back even further. In verse 22 of Isaiah 40, he says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And then speaking of all the stars and the heavenly bodies in verse 26 the prophet writes, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. That's how great God is. You know, it's been said that if you could travel at the speed of light, it would take you eight minutes to get from the earth's surface to the sun. Eight minutes at the speed of light. But it would take you 33,000 years to get to the center of the Milky Way traveling at that same speed. And the Milky Way is only a part of a, of a larger group called the local group of galaxies. And to cross that group at the speed of light, it would take you two million years to travel across it. And then the local group is a part of even a larger cluster called the Virgo cluster. And this super cluster is 500 million light years across. And if you wanted to try to span that entire distance, astrologers say that it would take you the speed of light 20 billion years to travel across it. Now, my mind can't comprehend those things. It's too great for me. Here's what I know, though. As big as that is, God's glory is bigger than that. God's glory is even more expansive than that. It's greater than that. God's throne sits in the circle above the heavens. Verse 5 of Psalm 113 tells us that he dwells on high, that he's enthroned there, that he rules over all creation there. And then Psalm 103 verse 19 tells us that the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And then let's not forget what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm, and nothing is too difficult for you. Brothers and sisters, we ought to praise and thank the Lord at all times and we ought to praise and thank him because he is great he is a God who is greater and bigger and farther away and bigger than anything that we could ever imagine but then that's not where it stops notice verse 6 verse 6 of Psalm 113 the psalmist goes on to say but this is the God who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth he raises the poor out of the dust and he lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people and he grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. One commentator that I read wrote this way. He says, God has done two things, each of which seem to make the other impossible. He has first taken his seat so high that no one can match him, yet he has regard for the lowliest of the low. And that he looks down so far. Such reminds me really of, of another psalm that David wrote in Psalm, verse, in psalm 8. 
that psalm begins this, this way. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic and how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. And then David goes on and says this, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you visit him. You're so great and you're so far and so far removed from us. How is it that you can take note of us who on the scales are less than worthless? You see, here's the thing. It's important for us as God's creation to take into consideration how vast his creation is and to recognize how truly great God is. But if that's where our concentration were to just stay, I fear that we would, we would somehow push away from God. His greatness would be so much that it would drive us to a distance but the God of the Bible is one that is always reaching out to his creation. And so consequently, we come to the third reason why we ought to praise him. We ought to thank and to praise the Lord at all times, not only because he is great, but also because he is so good. It's important to note that verses 7 and 8 of this text here in Psalm 113 is almost verbatim a song that was sung by Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. If you'll remember, Hannah was a lady who was childless. She, she was not able to conceive. And in her great grief, she came to the Lord and she poured out her heart to the Lord and begged him for a son. And God heard her despairing cry and he blessed her with a son named Samuel who became a great prophet. And in response to the Lord's blessing of her life, Hannah begins to sing a song of praise, a song of thanksgiving. And we hear the text, just like we recounted the text of the songs we sang earlier. The text of the song that, that Hannah sang, you find there in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And here's one of the verses. It says, verse 8, He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. You see, Hannah understood that her being blessed with a child actually pointed to the very nature of God. It points to the nature of a God who, who lifts up the needy and who acts on behalf of the helpless who cry out to him. What God had done for her actually was just a, a, an example of what God does to, to all those who lift their voices to him, who cry out to them. It means that he stoops down and he bends down to take notice of his creation. Significantly, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she also echoed Hannah's sentiment in the song that she sang after the angel of the Lord came and announced to her that she would conceive and that she would bring forth the Messiah. Her song is recorded in Luke chapter 1. Listen to the similarities. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Listen, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and he has exalted the lowly and he has filled the hungry with good things. Randy is sitting here on the front, front row. He'll probably get on to me later for doing this. For those of you who were here Wednesday night, 
at our Thanksgiving service, Randy, Randy stood right here behind this pulpit and shared the things that he had been thankful for. And, and he went through and he just, he just simply talked about how thankful he was that three of his, three of his grandchildren have made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ over this last year. And, and when I was listening to him, sitting right there, listening to him, there was just this humility that was pouring out of going, God, that you would take note of me. That you take note of my family. And that you would call members of my family to yourself. And I couldn't help but move from Randy at that point. Start thinking about me. And thinking about the fact, God, you've done the same thing for me. You've, you've called that I love dearly to yourself and you've saved them by your matchless grace and I dare say that if we went around this room we started raising our hands every one of us in this room could give testimony to the fact that the great God of heaven has taken note of me and of my family This week, when you gather around your Thanksgiving tables and you thank God for the bountiful food that's there, brothers and sisters, don't forget to thank Him for the fact that in eternity past, He knew your name and that He called you to Himself. And that he sought you out when you were running away from him on one of those foreign fields. And he sent the hounds of heaven after you. That's what he did to me. And I thank him that he had a greater mission in mind than just my satisfaction and just my comfort in life. That he had something greater in store for me than that. Brothers and sisters, friends who may be here who are trying to figure this whole thing about faith out, let me tell you something. God has a plan for you that's greater than anything that you could ever imagine. Now, that was all free. That wasn't in the notes. Here's what I want you to know. This 113th Psalm paints a picture of God who rules over an expansive universe that is so large our minds cannot comprehend it and yet at the same time he zeroes in on the poor, the helpless, the weak and he stoops down to lift them up. If that doesn't light your fire as my dad used to say, your wood's wet. The psalmist says that God raises the poor out of the dust, he lifts the needy out of the ash heap and he sets them with princes. What's interesting is that those words originated, as I showed you, from Hannah, who sang them, but they point to the even greater truth, the truth that centers around the revelation of what the good news is all about. You see, James Montgomery Boyce has written this. He says, God is not only in the business of lifting beggars from the physical ash heap and seating them with princes. He is also in the business of taking spiritual beggars from the ash heap of sin and seating them with his exalted son at his right hand in heavenly places. Boyce even goes on to say this. He says, all who are saved by Christ are lifted from the pigsty of this decadent world 
to sit with Jesus in his glory and to rule with him. Isn't that amazing? In our sin, you and I are driven to the lowest of low. We are weak, we're helpless. In the spiritual sense, we're nothing more than beggars. But the God of glory has stooped down and he has humbled himself. And as the psalmist writes here, he does that so that he can behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth. And listen, when he beheld what he beheld, he didn't just turn as rotten in sin as we were. You know what he didn't do? He didn't turn his face the other way. Instead, as John 3, 16 says, he sent his only begotten son into the world so that those who believe in him might be saved and have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Friends, that is why the Lord deserves all of our thanksgiving and all of our praise and all of the glory and honor that we can offer to him because he is great and because he is good. And so the question that the psalmist asks is, who is like the Lord our God? Who is like him? And the obvious answer is no one. No one. And what that means is no other God with a little g that you chase after will ever be able to do for you what this God of glory has done. And so why, why waste your time? Why waste your energy chasing after things that have no end result but bad and wicked things for you? Therefore, God alone is great God alone is good, and we ought to thank him. Yes, for our food, for our health, for our blessings, for our family, for our finances, for ever, all of those things, yes. But most importantly, we should thank him for his sacrificial love for us, which cannot even be measured accurately. His nature, who he is in his very essence, is amazing, and what he has done in giving himself to us to save us is equally amazing. And that leads me then to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. We should always praise and thank God because he is great and because he is so good. And all God's people said. Amen. And that is the reason why we come to this table this morning. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have come to understand that our sin condemned us to eternal hell, but God in his great love and his great mercy sent his son to die in our place. Stretched out on a Roman cross, pierced through with a Roman sword, taken down, buried in a borrowed grave, but then risen victorious on the third day. This is our hope. And so we come this morning as believers to stake our claim and to say, this is where our hope lies. This is what we are thankful in. This, he is the one who has brought us together and whom by our common grace that we have with one another, the common salvation that he has offered us, we come together as a church family and we do so to remind ourselves of that for which we ought to be most grateful. This morning we will partake of two elements, the bread and the cup, which will contain the juice. And those two elements in that Jesus has infused with uh, the significance to remind us of his body that was broken for us, his body, the, the physical death that he died, but also his blood. Because the body, the, the, the Bible tells us is that it is through the, uh, through the shedding of blood that there is remission of sins. And so this morning we remind ourselves of the physical death of Jesus Christ 
and how that offers us the forgiveness of our sins. And that is what informs our thankfulness this morning. Let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing upon the bread. Father, as we do come before you, we thank you for loving us, sending us your son. Lord, we thank you that you have been good to us, that you've blessed us beyond measure. Most importantly, we're thankful for the salvation that is offered to us through the body and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, it's my prayer this morning that as believers who have confessed their sins and trusted in you, those who have placed their faith in you, as we partake of this meal together today, I pray that it would be a reminder to us of the great love that you have for us. In Christ's holy name I pray.